y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor and fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Surge, your 3D Cool Ranch Doritos, and your kitten surprise, and let's get into the episode. This episode contains discussion of murder and sensitive subjects. Listener discretion is advised. The Houston Police Department received a 911 call in the early morning hours of July 29, 2016 from a very calm 16-year-old. A.J. Armstrong told the dispatcher that he'd heard gunshots in his parents' room downstairs and that he was now hiding in the closet of his third-floor bedroom. When officers arrived, they found A.J.'s mother, Dawn, dead in her bed from two gunshot wounds to the head. A.J.'s father, Antonio, had also suffered a gunshot wound to the head but was clinging to life. Both AJ and his 12-year-old sister were unharmed. Less than 24 hours later, AJ was charged with the capital murder of both of his parents. Was he responsible for their brutal slayings? Or had a masked intruder really just gotten that lucky to get away with a double murder? Hey, you guys. Welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm Mm-mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences and opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm-mm, mm-mm, that's a pro tip, but I, I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. All right. So this is a pretty wild and crazy case, I think. I agree. We've got some thank yous. Thank you to Madison for writing this one up. And thank you to Taylor H. and Jesse for suggesting it. Yes. So, all right, let's just jump. Let's jump right on into it. I think we should. Let's talk about who were the Armstrongs. So Antonio Armstrong Sr. grew up in Houston, Texas. He was one of five children. His family was active in their church, which instilled a strong sense of faith in Antonio from a young age. He fell in love with football as a child. He attended college at Texas A&M where he played football until he was drafted in round six of the 1995 NFL draft by the San Francisco 49ers. I was amazed by this. Very impressive. After an injury, Antonio was released from the 49ers but quickly signed with the Miami Dolphins. Antonio also played with the St. Louis Rams before joining the Canadian Football League. 
along the now, way. I don't know okay. much about sports ball, but I do know that this is hard to do, apparently. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's like the rarest rose, right? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Along the way, Antonio met Don Whiteley at church. The two fell in love, got married, and Antonio adopted Don's young son, Josh. In March of 1999, Don gave birth to a baby boy named Antonio Jr., who became affectionately known as AJ. The family moved from Canada back to Antonio's hometown in Houston, where Don gave birth to their first and only daughter, Kara. The family lived in Bel Air, a town right outside of Houston, and they opened a gym called First Class Gym. Antonio did personal training as well as he worked as a motivational speaker and an associate pastor at his mother's church. Following closely in their father's footsteps, both Josh and AJ played football and Antonio coached their teams. AJ even wanted to play in the NFL just like his dad did one day. He was a talented athlete, also playing basketball and running track. All three children went to a nearby private school named Kincaid. Josh, AJ, and Kara were described as happy, sweet, and well-adjusted children. Family and friends said that Don and Antonio were wonderful parents who did everything that they could for their kids. A local media outlet later described the Armstrongs as the, quote, all-American family. How many times have we heard that? Like, I know. All-American family. I guess um, married parents, private school, doing great in school, kids are athletic. You know, what is that really? Yes. But seems to be the the media's view. All American. Yeah. In 2016, though, the family dynamic seemed to shift with everything culminating on a warm July night in their home on Palmetto Drive. At 1.40 a.m. on Friday, July 29th, 2016, the Houston Police Department received a 911 call. 16-year-old A.J. Armstrong calmly told the dispatcher that he'd just heard two gunshots in his parents' room. AJ said that he was hiding in the closet of his third floor bedroom. The dispatcher continued asking AJ questions about what was going on, and he asked them to hurry. He told her that he needed to get his 12-year-old sister, whose bedroom was on the second floor, and the 911 dispatcher asked if there were any guns in the home, and AJ told her that his father did have a gun that he believed was kept in the nightstand or under the bed in his parents' room. And this 911 call is kind of interesting because he's whispering. Uh, I mean, I guess understandably so, but it's, I don't know. He doesn't seem, I don't know. I mean, we talk about like how somebody's going to react all the time, but it is a little. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be necessarily a sense of urgency. Like no. it is very calm. That's something that the prosecutors are going to really harp on in this case. It's interesting. Well, I will get more into it, but yeah. Yes. Officers arrived on the scene where AJ disarmed the house's alarm and let them in. It's another thing to keep in your back pocket. First responders rushed into the house and up to the second floor master bedroom. And inside they found 42-year-old Don and 42-year-old Antonio both laying in bed, suffering from gunshot wounds to the head. Pillows had been placed over both of their heads and Don, who had two wounds, was deceased, Antonio was still clinging to life. Paramedics quickly loaded him into the ambulance and rushed him to the hospital. AJ and his younger sister, Kara, were both unharmed. Officers began to look around the Armstrong household to see if there was anything that might indicate who'd attacked the family. A handwritten note was found on the downstairs kitchen counter that read, quote, I have been watching you for a long time. Come get me. And beside the note was a 22 caliber pistol that was used to shoot Antonio and Don. There was no sign of forced entry, and officers found it strange that AJ had to disarm the alarm to let them in. Officers separated AJ and Kara and bagged their hands to be tested for gunshot residue. AJ called his older brother, Josh, who lived in a nearby apartment. Josh's girlfriend later told police that he'd grabbed his shotgun and ran out of the home when he found out that his parents had been shot and when he arrived at the family home, officers would not allow him to go in or give him any information. Doctors at a nearby hospital were working tirelessly to save, tirelessly to save Antonio, but his injuries were too severe and he ended up passing away as well. Detectives were now investigating a double homicide. So it did not take Houston detectives long to start zeroing in on a suspect. There were 
like we said, no signs of forced entry into the home and some things at the scene just were not adding up. AJ was brought to the Houston Police Department to be questioned. So at 7.47 in the morning, just a few hours after AJ had called 911, he was brought to the police department for an interview. AJ told officers that his relationship with his parents was good. He was super close with his dad. He said that all three of the children had their little issues with their mom, but they were not anything serious at all. AJ said that he, Josh, and his father were a really tight-knit group. They were able to talk to each other about anything. The two detectives asked AJ what happened the day prior leading up to him calling 911. So AJ said he'd woken up around 10 a.m., but he stayed in his room watching Netflix, and his parents were in and out of the home throughout the day. Antonio had recently hurt his knee, so he had been working from home most of the time. Don came home from the gym that the family owned around 5 p.m. AJ said that his parents got dressed and went out with one of his father's friends getting home around 8 p.m. AJ then reported he went to pick up his younger sister from their grandmother's house and that they arrived back at the Armstrong household between 9 and 10 p.m. Kara went straight to bed. AJ said his parents were laying in their bed and he went up to his loft room on the third floor to watch Netflix. Still awake, around 1 a.m., AJ told detectives that he'd turned off his television and walked to the bathroom, getting ready to go to sleep. As he left his bathroom, he said that he'd heard a door open and he thought it was one of his parents getting up to get a snack or a drink or something. AJ said he hadn't been feeling well lately, so he decided to walk downstairs and ask whichever parents it was that was up for some medicine. As he starts coming down the steps, he says he hears gunshots. He immediately turned around and ran back upstairs into his bedroom and into his closet, shutting the door behind him. And this is when he made his 911 call. AJ told detectives that he didn't understand how, quote, they got out of the house without setting off the alarm. And that's something like they, he, one, two, like, I don't put a lot of weight into that. You know, if he saw one person or two, if he said they rather than he or she, it's just like, I feel like a lot of times if it's somebody you don't know, you're just going to say they. Like if I said, I don't know, maybe I would say he, I don't know. I just like somebody at the store cut me. They did this, you know, I'm like, was one person or two? Either one, I might say they, I don't know. And to be in shock and to really not know what happened and just maybe assuming, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't put a lot of weight in that. Yeah, if you don't know if it's a male or a female either, like it might have looked like a male, but you don't know. I don't know. So anyway, this is, you know, something that is definitely brought up, but I'm not sure that like this is not a smoking gun, of course. But remember, AJ had to turn the alarm off to let the police in when they got there. The door was locked when they got there and they could not get into the home without AJ turning that alarm off. So. You know, he's saying, well, I don't know how anybody would have gotten out because the alarm was set, right? Uh, He suggested maybe instead that they used a window to escape because that would not have activated the alarm. As he continued explaining what he'd heard and seen, AJ mentioned that he saw someone running out of his parents' room before he ran up the stairs to hide. And he couldn't tell who it was. And like when he says this, the the cop immediately, detective, whoever, immediately goes, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You actually physically saw someone? And he's like, oh, yeah, I saw someone running out. Um, And he's like, okay, but you, you know, you haven't mentioned that before. So this is like a new piece of information that's coming out, which is very interesting because on the 911 call, he says, I heard gunshots coming from my parents' bedroom. Okay, I'm trying to think about like, my house. I don't have three floors. I only have the two. But if I was downstairs, I know I have two floors. If I was downstairs and something happened upstairs, I think like, I don't know if it was a gunshot. Would I know which room it came from? I'm not sure. You know, I don't know because it's a really loud noise like you would think. I don't know. But anyway, he says he heard it coming from his parents' bedroom. And then he says he sees somebody running uh, six feet tall. He definitely thought it was a male because they didn't have long hair. AJ, boys can have long hair too. Well, and girls can have short hair. 
Exactly. Uh, he said likely a black male, but wearing a black face mask. And he could only see the eyes and mouth, but he thought it looked to be a black male. And again, he said nothing about this on the 911 call. And you would think that if he is hearing gunshots and he's calling 911 for help, the fr- he wouldn't just be like, well, I heard some gunshots. The first thing he would say is there's somebody I don't know in my house. They're wearing a black mask. And I heard gunshots, but somebody's right. in this house. So you get here before they get to me. Right. Right. Like, wouldn't you think that they're going to, that you're in danger because somebody that you don't know is in your home? Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's just a lot. It's very of, bizarre that he did not mention that. Yeah. In the, you know, while the act is happening, supposedly. Right. But that's not what he says. He just says, I heard some gunshots. Um, and the dispatcher asked, you know, are you, do you need medical? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, he just doesn't, he makes no mention of this intruder. So uh, the interview continues and AJ told them he wasn't 100% sure, but he thought he had heard two to three gunshots. So the detectives ask, are there any guns in the home that you know of? And he said, yeah, his father had one. He kept it somewhere in his room either the closet or the nightstand. He added, though, that his parents' room was off limits to the kids, so he only saw the gun when his father brought it out. AJ said the only time he'd ever used the gun was when he was eight years old, when he and his father went to a gun range together. And he also mentioned that his parents typically typically slept with their bedroom doors locked. This is also interesting because it doesn't appear that the bedroom door of the parents was broken down in any way or right no sign of forced entry anywhere in on this house right in any room anywhere and i would like to know too from other people like did kara also say that they slept with their doors locked i don't know i just that's a very interesting or josh the the older brother like that's something he would know i would think i would if they always slept with the door locked like that's interesting so it's not very far into the interview when the detective started to let aj know like look This isn't adding up, dude. There's something going on here. And one detective said, quote, there are some issues and I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you there were some issues and we got to go over them and get to the bottom of what's going on. So detectives advised AJ they'd swabbed both him and his sister's hands for gunshot residue. So if either he or she had fired a gun that night, they are going to know this. They told him that if something different happened that night, now is the time to tell us, right? We can't help you if you don't tell us the truth that, you know, all the stuff that I don't know that they said that for sure, but that's what we hear all the time. Detectives also told AJ that his mother was dead, but that his father was still in the hospital fighting for his life. Um, And there is no audible reaction on the recording from AJ to hearing this information. And again, I'm just going to play devil's advocate. That could be because of shock. I I mean, we don't we don't know, but yeah, it's something to put right there in your noodle. Yeah. And hearing this, AJ absolutely didn't budge. He said multiple times to the detectives he was telling them the truth. Nothing else had happened. Uh, The detectives told AJ that one of the officers on scene had found something strange. I don't know. I would think a 16 year old. Okay, so my kids, sometimes I get that they're much younger than this, but still, there have been times where like they don't want to brush their teeth or they played in the bathtub for a long ass time. They didn't soap up and they don't want to get back in. Right. So I'm like, did you soap up? And they're like, yep. Yeah. I'm like, did you really soap up? Uh huh. Yeah. No, I definitely did. Okay. Well, I'm going to smell you. And if you don't (laughs) smell like soap, then I'm going to know you didn't. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking again. Well, again, I don't know. I haven't said this before. Um. Anyway, Uncle Buck, when he's like, are you sure you brushed your teeth? Because I know people at the crime lab that uh-huh. can tell if you just <laughs> rinsed it under the faucet. Yes, yep. exactly. Yeah. And he's like, or she was amazing. I forget which one. <laughs> Both of them did. But yeah, she was like, if that's true, we're really going to have to start brushing our teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um. And I smelled their little hair and sure enough, it did not smell like soap. So I was like, get back in the shower. Like, what are you doing? But like, once I told them that you could see that, like, maybe I should. And they're like, maybe I didn't soap all the way. I'm like, "Mm -hmm." maybe I didn't do it that great. Yeah. Like maybe it was just like (laughs) a little bit of soap. Maybe it was enough soap. So (laughs) it's just 
incredible to me. Yeah, it's incredible to me, though, that being 16 years old, AJ was like, fine, swab it, test it. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. He didn't back down. Okay, so here's what the detectives found that was super strange. So just ponder on this for a minute, okay? What they found when they were in the home was a bullet hole in the ceiling of the study, which was on the second floor. So the bullet had come through the ceiling from the third floor loft, which was AJ's bedroom. And on the floor of this study, they found the discharged round and dust from the sheetrock. Hmm. And AJ sounded pretty surprised when detectives told him this. Confronted with obvious evidence, contradicting one of his former statements, AJ now admits, actually, I have Yes, I have recently fired my father's pistol. It was about a week or so ago. Not when I was eight. About a week ago now. Now that you mention it, I remember a week ago I did fire this gun. And the story there was that one of my friends was over. We were being dumb kids. And I was like, have you ever fired a gun? And he's like, no, I have not. And so AJ says, I told him I'd show him how to. And so he said he went and checked the places that he thought his dad kept the gun, which initially he said is off limits and is often locked, I thought. But he was able to get into the bedroom and get the gun. And he brings it up to his bedroom and he placed a pillow and blankets on the gun and then fired the bullet through them. So a couple things here. When AJ is telling this story again, now that he is kind of caught in the, okay, well, all right, well, I did shoot the gun, but it was just to show my friend. They tell him, I assume, okay, well, we'll talk to that friend and we'll get that corroborated, no problem. And then he right. says, well, actually he had left by the time I shot it. So he wasn't actually there when I shot it. And so the prosecutors are like, I thought you said the whole point of you shooting the gun was, was to, to show, show your friend what it's like to shoot a gun but he wasn't even there at that time anymore. So why would you I mean, even do it? Yeah. Well, and then on top of that, this is a week or two ago, right? And one would think if this is a room that they use periodically, why wouldn't they have seen it? Yes, because it's pretty out in the open. I mean, mm-hmm. it's from all reports and everything that we've heard, Don and Antonio keep a clean house. I mean, it's a, it didn't look in complete disarray or anything in any of the crime scene photos. So that's a room that he said his parents were in often. And so he couldn't explain why they hadn't seen that before because it'd been over a week, you know? He's like, I don't know, maybe they just missed it. It's like, did they though? I don't, I don't know about that. Detectives brought up the next inconsistency in AJ's story. So why would an intruder have taken the time to place the murder weapon on the kitchen counter and also write a note? Okay. We know that this intruder, a couple things with the intruder. The intruder shoots Don and Antonio. They are leaving the house. AJ sees this person. We don't know if this person sees AJ. But they didn't even check to see because what I'm thinking of, like something not similar, but, you know, like with a note and whatever, but I'm thinking like Manson family, right? And they left notes on the wall in their victim's blood, unfortunately, but they made sure to get rid of, to to murder everybody in the house before they did this. Right. You're not going to leave an opportunity for somebody to catch you, see you, somebody who's there on the phone with police before you've even had a chance to get out. Yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, It just, why would you do those things and then try to get out of a window? Like... And also, there was no evidence to show that anyone had disturbed any of the windows, any of the blinds, or any of the curtains. Everything was as it should be. And the the one window that AJ had mentioned that he saw this person near, 
He then says, well, you've been in the house and you know this window, there's no way you're getting it open. And the detective is like, well, that window's on the second floor too. Like they're not going to jump out the second floor. And he's like, right, 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 right. So probably like a different window. And it's just like, I don't know. They also pointed out how strange it would be for an intruder to enter a home unarmed, search through the house and find a hidden gun to use. Now, has it happened before? Yes, it has. Most of the time when that happens, an intruder is going to grab a knife from the kitchen. You're always going to find a knife in the kitchen. Right. Or, I mean, I've heard of other times them walking in and seeing like a huge gun cabinet. And then they grab Agon from... Mm-hmm. Or something in the garage, a, an axe or something like that. Um, some sort something of Something that is implement. visible. Yes. Or you know where it would be. Yeah. The gun... Um, oh my gosh, what is his name? Van Breda, where you keep an yes. axe in the in kitchen? In the kitchen. I don't know. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, this gun, though from AJ's own words, would have been hidden under his parents' bed or in the nightstand. So we're... How would, how would one know that? Like, not everybody keeps a gun in the nightstand, I would think, or under the bed. I don't have it. Oh, I can't give my secrets away. I might have weapons in my room. Okay. They'll come after me. Yeah, yeah. And a vicious alarm system. Oh. It's vicious. You don't even want it in a moat. Yes. And crocodiles. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yes. But like, okay, so say this intruder shows up. (laughs) Your face is saying that you don't believe it, but we'll go with, yeah, sure. (laughs) They don't have a weapon. They bypass the kitchen. They go into the bedroom where there are two sleeping adults, one of them being an ex-NFL player who's like big as hell, strong as hell. Does have the bad knee, though. He does have the bad knee right now, though. But I'm pretty sure he could whip it into gear if he needed to. And then this person is going to proceed to dig around in their room while they're sleeping right there. Open the nightstand that's right next to them and fumble around for a gun. And if that's not where it is, he gets under the bed. And also, I think something, too, the, the door supposedly, supposedly is locked. Is locked. How did he get in the door? I don't know. Depending on what kind of lock it is, because I remember working at a place many, many moons ago, and the it was like one of those things where the handle would move if you were inside of the bathroom, but it would be locked on the outside. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever, like, nobody ever remembered to unlock the door. So then they would just close it. Like if they went number two and it was a stinky guy, they'd be like, oh, I just got to close it real quick. And then you'd go to go use the bathroom and it's locked and nobody's in there. Yeah. So then I would take a bobby pin mm-hmm. and I would just and finagle. And so I could open it that way. But still, that also means that you've got to have some sort of device to right. unlock the door because there's no sign that it's been kicked in or anything. Exactly. So if this person, they've, They've entered the house unarmed. Right. They bypass any knives or anything that they could use, but either they know that this door is going to be locked and they bring something with them ahead of time to pick at it. Our kids have locked their doors before, you know, and you get a screwdriver or something and you can open it. And we used to, our um, cousin used to lock her damn door all the time. I don't know if you remember this. And they, our uncle kept a little, it was just like a little thing up over the door frame. And so when she would lock the door, he'd pull that down and go, you know, use it. Because they have key. They have a little key. Yeah, it's like a little key thing. And, um, but they don't live there. So you would, there's a lot of stuff that would have have had to happen to make this make any kind of sense. Like without waking up Don or Antonio, because otherwise you're just, trying to open this door, like, presumably one of them would hear it. I mean, I'm not saying that they couldn't have been heavy sleepers, but still, that's a lot of things that have to happen that you'd have to get the door open, snoop around, possibly under their bed while they're asleep. Like, it also slipped through a seam in the wall, too, because how do they get in there with the alarm system? Like, exactly. Detectives tried again to tell AJ, all right, guys, guys, guy, kid, bub, you. Time to tell the truth. And they also said they were going to run a handwriting analysis on the note and compare it to his handwriting. 
And they even told him that they were hopeful that Antonio was going to pull through so that he could tell them what happened. But AJ's story still did not change. He denied having anything to do with the attack. Detectives were becoming more and more direct, telling AJ that even his 911 call was suspicious. About seven minutes into the call, AJ said to the dispatcher, this is all my fault. And AJ was quick to defend himself. He said, I said that because I had seen the intruder running away and I didn't do anything about it. Which, I mean, could make sense. Like, you know, I don't know. Survivor guilt kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. I also heard that in the 911 call at one point, again, he never says to the dispatcher, there's somebody in my house, please hurry, you know. And we've heard 911 calls where people believe there is somebody in their house and that's what they lead with, right? There's somebody in here, please hurry. I don't want them to find me, like whatever. They're whispering. They're very quiet. Um, he's He's not that quiet on the call either. He's talking pretty normally for most of it. But at one point, he he says something that the prosecution, because they, of course, play this in the trial, the whole call, and the prosecution, there are some parts where they are a little quieter, so they've got a transcript that they've made up. And one of the things that he says is, how did you get into my house? And the defense attorney on cross-examination of the person who typed this up said, is it possible that you misunderstood what he said and that he said, how did, how did he get into my house? And he was like, yeah, I mean, I guess he could have said that. And then it was after that that he says, this is all my fault. But, but still, how'd you or how'd he get into my house? If he said either one of those, but still never tells the dispatcher, this person is in the house and I'm afraid that they're going to find me. Like, I don't think that either one of those really are a point one way or the other, like, right. He still Is never she just says there's somebody here, that- right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, AJ continued to say that you know he had absolutely no idea who would want his parents dead, who would want to hurt them, anything like that. It seemed clear that AJ was not changing his story, and detectives were getting pretty frustrated. One of them said, "Quote: No one else got in that house tonight. Did Casper come in and do it? Is there a trap door somewhere?" He said there were only two options. Someone inside the home, either Kara or AJ, shot their parents or one of them let someone in the house and then let them out. They confronted AJ about a dark spot on the carpet that appeared to have been burnt. AJ said, that's easy. I was playing with matches and I walked away and the carpet accidentally caught on fire. I feel like this is one of those situations where it's like action consequence like because I don't know (laughs) if I'm if I'm playing with matches on the floor which I do regularly I'm going to stay right there just to make sure that we don't accidentally catch something on fire right especially right on a carpet yeah you know like I mean and the interesting thing about this spot that they'd found that was burned was directly outside of Antonio and Dawn's bedroom why were you playing math with matches in the hallway outside your parents' bedroom? Right. Interesting. Uh-huh. So anyway, just a total accident. He was playing with matches as one normally does. It caught fire because he was, he left the matches on the ground, I guess. Still hot. So then he told them like his dad knew about it. They um, had kind of gotten in a fight about it. His dad was mad, but they talked about it. They were okay. Everything was fine. One of the detectives asked AJ, had you poured anything on the floor to light it on fire? And he's like, no, absolutely not. You know, just the matches, like normal, like whatever. A detective on the scene told them that the area smelled like accelerant. And then they found an empty bottle of rubbing alcohol in AJ's room. And he said, well, I took that from my dad's room because I needed it. How is he going to and fro from his dad's room all of the time without... It's totally off limits to the kids. Yeah. He acts like he's not been in that room in years, the way he talks about how it's so off limits. Yeah. Then he said something real strange, like real, real strange. He said, quote, I'm not saying that my dad put out a hit on my mom and the dude like went bad and shot my dad. I'm not saying anything like that. Kind of sounds like what? What are you? But so, what are you saying? <laughs> like, I'm confused. Yeah, because nobody said that. Like, nobody I didn't was say like, that. 
Right. Yeah. Nobody was like, do you think that maybe this could have been a hit gone bad? Like, I don't. It, nobody put dad that seed put in out his on mind. your mom. Yeah. yeah. It's like one of those memes where it's like, you know, absolutely nobody. And then it's like they say nothing. And then it's like, AJ, um, I'm not saying my dad put out a hit on my mom. Like, <laughs> exactly. What is happening? Detectives referred back to when AJ told him that he'd heard, or I'm sorry, that he'd shot his father's gun through the pillows and into the floor. And AJ said he'd seen it in movies and, quote, thought it, like, stopped bullets. The detective brought up a strange coincidence. And he said, quote, kind of weird, man. Both your parents had pillows over their heads before they were shot. Again, AJ has a ready explanation for this. The weird thing is, And how he knows this, I don't know, because he's not allowed in his parents' room and it is locked at all times. And I guess he said they lock it at night. He didn't necessarily say at all times. So please understand. I know that. But he says, well, actually, my dad always sleeps with a pillow over his eyes. How big is a pillow? Is that going to cover your eyes or your whole fucking face? It would cover your whole fucking face unless you were pushed down in the bed and you just draped it just from here. Right. Yeah. Or, well, in your case, it would be a dog. Yes. Yeah, I just cover my eyes with my dog. That's that's the easiest thing for me to do. <laughs> Wouldn't that... Do you know anybody who sleeps with a pillow over their face? No. I have seen Andrew kind of stick a pillow kind of on top of his face if I'm still awake and he's falling asleep and I've got like a light on. Right. Or like, I mean, I've had it happen before where like somebody, I live out in the country kind of. So it's like sometimes I like to go to bed earlier than somebody else would want to apparently. And they just ride around with like blaring music and I'm like, oh, and so I'll just like put a pillow over my head to be like, shut up. Yeah. But and it's usually like you're on your side. I feel like, I mean, it can happen from time to time, but AJ says he sleeps like this every night. Well, he doesn't stop there either. No, not only does his dad sleep that way, but he says his mom sleeps with a pillow folded over her head. Folded. What are the odds? <laughs> I know. And the detectives were like, Okay, but the pillow wasn't folded. And they said, quote, you see how convenient that is? Every time I present you with something, you're trying to explain it away. The final thing the detectives brought up during the initial interview was something they'd heard from a family friend. They told AJ that they'd heard that he'd been caught with drugs recently and his parents had been really upset about it. And AJ said, nah, that was a while ago, like three months ago. Um, He just kind of brushed it off. No big deal at all. He finally told the detectives that they might as well just end this interview now because I don't have anything new to say. Nothing's going to change. I've told you everything I know. Shortly after, AJ was charged with the capital murder of both his mother and father. As investigators continued to look into the Armstrongs, they found that there'd been problems in the family for a few months. AJ had actually failed out of the private school that he'd been attending, that they all attended. His mother accused him of drinking, lying, and smoking marijuana. Don and Antonio had even taken AJ's car away from him and gave it to his older brother because of AJ's behavior. The fire that he told detectives about in his interview happened differently from AJ's account, believe it or not. AJ had reportedly put gasoline in a bottle of rubbing alcohol and set a fire in the stairwell just outside of his parents' bedroom. His father put the fire out and Dawn texted a photo of the carpet to her oldest son, Josh. And guess when this happened? Two days before the murders. Right outside of their bedroom. And we have photo evidence of when it happened. Dawn doesn't send a photo to Josh and say, hey, this happened three months ago and I forgot to tell you about it. And one thing that we learn about Josh and Dawn through the trial is they're super duper close. And she talks to him about the problems that she's having with AJ. And he is trying to comfort his mom and be there for her. And she talks to him just like venting her frustration and like what is happening. But she sends that picture. Because one of the things that the defense tries to do in the trial is when they talk about this carpet thing or whatever, the defense gets up there and is like, yeah, but okay, so you know it was set on fire and you know that an accelerant was used and you found the accelerant in his room and okay, fine, whatever. But you can't for sure say what day that happened. You don't know how long ago it was set on fire. 
because, you know, the prosecution is alleging two days because of all the evidence we have that it was two days. And they're like, I mean, no, I guess, no, I can't, like, I can't forensically test it and say when it happened. And they're like, see, see? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so silly because, I mean, I would think that if you have kids, which I don't, but uh, let's say my dog, Apple, she decided to start a fire right outside of my bedroom. I would find that act to be out of the ordinary. So I would take a picture of it and be like, listen to what this bitch did. Right. And send it to everybody that I know and be mm -hmm. like, I think we're, we've got a Stewie from Family Guy situation on my hands here. Right. And the fact that she sent it to Josh that day and gave no right. indication in her text message that it had happened a long time before that and she was just getting around to like, it. Look what I found. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also it's like all of these things, I I feel like AJ has obviously, uh, allegedly, uh, but like to me, it sounds like he's watched just too many movies and taken them as like, well, that's how the, these things go. Like whatever I say to the detective, they're just not going to look into it. They're not going to question it. They're just going to be like, okay, if you right. say so. Yeah. Yeah. And then the thing that he has not going for him in that regard, too, is it's documented over and over and over that he lies. Right. They've caught him in lies. There are text messages where, like, this family texts a lot and he texts a lot. There's so mm -hmm. much documentation that he's not been truthful, like, ever. Right. <laughs> right. <sighs> On April 2nd, 2019, AJ was tried as an adult for the murder of both of his parents. He pleaded not guilty, and less than a month later, a mistrial was declared due to a hung jury. A second trial in October of 2022 was again declared a mistrial after the jury deliberated for 18 hours and still could not decide on a unanimous verdict. The defense team said that eight jurors believed that AJ was innocent and four believed that he was guilty, but the first trial was eight jurors believe that he was guilty and four believe that he was innocent. I also read an interview with one of the jurors from either the first or second trial, I don't remember which, that said they were really, really frustrated deliberating because it was a situation where they knew that he was guilty, but they didn't know that it was proven guilty. So like they were like, there was still reasonable doubt based on the sure. standard of that in the law. Well, but, and that, that happens a lot. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I feel like it does anyway. You know, it's like you, sometimes you get frustrated with the outcome or like, oh, my gosh, how could it be a hung jury? That's not fair. But it's like the the rules of the criteria that the jurors have to follow. Right. It's like, what what else can they do? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, the burden Absolutely. of the proof is on the state for sure. In the summer of 2023, and AJ is now in his early 20s, he stood trial a third time for the murder of his parents. His defense team did their best to provide another suspect to the jury, AJ's older brother, Josh. I think that's bad. I don't like I that. I think that's bad too. Now, seven years following the murders, Josh had developed PTSD and struggled with his mental health. Though there were no medical records indicating any mental health problems prior to his parents' death, the defense brought witnesses to the stand to testify that Josh showed, showed signs of paranoia and schizophrenia in the weeks leading up to the murders. Both Kara and Josh's grandmother described him as, quote, different when Josh moved back to the area after college a few weeks earlier. They said that he, quote, neglected basic hygiene and would often be found staring into space and spending hours in the bathroom talking to himself. His parents had even kicked him out of their house after they'd found that found out that he had thrown a party that, um, there while they were out of town. Following his parents' murder, Josh had a stay at a psychiatric hospital, but it was initially reported by the detectives during AJ's first interview that they'd confirmed that Josh was in his own apartment that night after speaking with his girlfriend. When Kayra testified, she described her oldest brother, Josh, as being odd. Quote, he was there, but he wasn't there. He was distant. He acted like he was the black sheep of the family. He acted like our parents loved us more because we were biologically related to both of them. I also just want to, I don't know, point out that like AJ's grandmother and this is Antonio's mother. Yes, his is, paternal grandmother. Yes, is very, very 
vehemently adamant that AJ could not have done this. He's totally innocent, all this stuff. And she definitely has said, like, she, it's not that, I don't know. I don't know how you want to spin it. She's, she's not saying he didn't lie, but she's like, there's, he just didn't do it. Yeah, he just didn't do it. But she's also one of the main, again, there's no medical history that Josh had any psychiatric problems before the murder occurred. From what I understand, the only information that we have that says that maybe he was acting strangely and, you know, all these other things are from his sister and this grandmother who is not biologically related to him. And I'm not saying that she doesn't love him like her own, but he had some feelings about that. And I know, yeah, I don't know. Hearsay is very confusing to me. Like there are just so many situations where it's like, that's okay, but that's not okay. And like, yeah, I don't know. Um, but there's, there's literally not one. And he like, he had psychiatric care after the murders and it stemmed from, he could not process his parents' murders. And like, it just, from everybody else who knew Josh, none of this happened until after. But the Mm -hmm. defense is trying to say, well, it actually started just a couple weeks before. Before, yeah. Which again, is kind of convenient for the defense, right? (laughs) Like it's, I don't know. Well, and the fact that, yeah, it happened just a couple weeks before it started happening, but nobody else knew about it. Well, and I mean, all signs are pointing to AJ because nobody, as far as I know, no, there's no evidence that said that Josh was trying to like start fires outside of their bedroom or oops, accidentally shot a bullet through the floor and, you know. Right. AJ admits to that being him. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, y'all. You know how Tori is basically a Spice Girl and dresses the cutest and has the best makeup and hair in the whole world? Or like how I can't stop buying stuff on Amazon, mostly for my kids? Well, we get asked all the time, where does Tori get her clothes and makeup? And what stuff am I constantly overbuying to make mom and home life easier? So we made a links page. Head over to killerqueenspodcast.com slash links and scroll down to shop our style or our Amazon faves. Here you'll find all the posts you can shop with our unique links to each item, as well as our Amazon storefront, where we have lists like 90s finds. This is curated by Tori with all the best 90s stuff like Tamagotchis and My Little Ponies, my back to school must haves list, gift ideas for kiddos that I love, podcast essentials if you ever want to start your own show, and more. And we add to it all the time. Now, To be totally honest, we do make a commission if you use these links to make a purchase, and we always appreciate everything you do to keep the lights on over here. So be sure to head to killerqueenspodcast.com slash links and scroll down to shop our style or our Amazon faves to totally twin with us. We love you guys to the moon, and we cannot wait to share all of our style and life faves with you. Kara said that AJ's relationship with their parents seemed normal, and she also said that the alarm system in their house didn't seem to work properly. Quote, sometimes the alarm would set when a door is still open, or sometimes it would go off unexpectedly. It was really finicky. The prosecution had a lot that they felt clearly pointed to AJ being behind the murders, and they explained how AJ admitted to firing the murder weapon, same gun, through the bedroom floor, right? And this apparently is not uncommon for people to do prior to a murder or suicide, especially if they're unfamiliar with guns and want to familiarize themselves. Yeah. I also, the defense also really, really points out that there's no fingerprints or anything of AJ's on the gun, the bullets, all of those things. And to me, that actually lends itself to lay more suspicion on AJ because we have him admitting that he shot that gun a week before. He doesn't say he put gloves on when he shot that gun. So Mm -hmm. why are his prints not on it? Yeah. They should be. If nobody else used it from the time that he handled it until the time that his parents were shot. And the intruder used it. Right. With with, uh, gloves, I'm guessing, because there are no fingerprints, other fingerprints. You know what I mean? Like in what they, yeah, I don't know. You're absolutely right. 
Attorneys brought up all the inconsistencies in AJ's interview and 911 call, as well as the fire that he'd set outside of his parents' room. And it was found that AJ had searched, quote, how to make a car bomb on his iPad. Prosecutors emphasized how AJ had no emotion when he was told that his mother was dead and that he'd never even asked about her condition. Based on the layout of the house, AJ would have had to walk had mm, would have had to have walked by his parents' bedroom to get to his sister and get her out of her bedroom. And he continued to ask the dispatcher if he could go get his sister, but he never asked about checking on his parents. Cell phone records showed that AJ's phone was being used just before the murders and at nine or at nine oh at one oh nine a.m. And that his cell phone and motion sensors in the house showed him moving around the home between 1.09 a.m. and 1.40 a.m. when he had finally called 911. And finally, they said that the alarm showed that no one entered or exited the home that night, though the defense claimed that the alarm had a history of being faulty. And this did not happen in the 1800s when you could not prove whether or not, you know. Right, and... The alarm was, okay, I have an alarm. I don't set it every night. It's not a huge You're thing that I do. sitting duck now. I know, but I have a moat and crocodiles as well. Okay. And piranhas. And piranhas and barracudas. And so I don't set it all the time. Okay, fine. So like, whatever. They set this alarm every night. It's a big damn deal at their house. The alarm is a big damn deal. So the fact that he had to set or turn the alarm off for the police to get in because they were not able to make entry into the house until he opened the door for them and turned the alarm off. He also says in his interview, I don't know how they got in or out of the house without the alarm going off. Why? Mm -hmm. If it's finicky and never works, wouldn't he have said, it makes sense that the alarm didn't go off because it's finicky and it never works. Right, absolutely. And I'm guessing too that let's say that that is the case and everybody knew about it in the house that it's finicky and it never worked. Do they not lock their door because they have the alarm system? Because there's absolutely, you know what I mean? Like just because you have an alarm system doesn't mean you're going to quit locking your doors. So if the alarm system didn't work, right? why is there no sign of forced entry? Because I, I could buy that if right. somebody had pried the door open mm-hmm. with a crowbar, Harry and Marv style, but the alarm didn't go off and be like, well, shit, I guess it didn't work that night. But right. No proof. They, yeah, exactly. And we know the door was locked because he had to unlock the door. Like, exactly. They tried the door and it was unlocked. And he doesn't dispute that either. Like, he acknowledges, yeah, I opened the door. Right. The defense brings up the fact that they have on the garage door one of those keypads that you could use. And apparently the prosecution never tested the keypad for fingerprints, DNA, anything like that. Um, And the defense says Don and Antonio gave that keypad number out to a lot of people. They say that the door that led from the garage to inside the house on the first floor, they usually did not lock that door because you'd have to get in the garage to go through that first. I know some people who do that, some people who don't. Sure. But to me... None of that really matters because the motion sensors don't, don't turn, even though they don't, yeah, even though they're not set to go off if, if there's motion moving around, they still are picking up motion and they pick up AJ's motion. They pick him up coming from upstairs to downstairs, but they don't pick anybody up entering that door and going upstairs. Well, yeah, I know some people's like even a door, like even if the alarm is not set, but you open a door, it's like garage door. And yeah, right. Exactly. It's just it never it doesn't make any kind of sense to me. But so arguing the defense's accusation against Josh, the prosecution presented the messages between Josh and his mom about, you know, they're like, look, they were very close. And mm-hmm. that's when they talk about Don and Josh talked a lot and could have, she confided in him about all of the things that she was going through with AJ, but, you know, Josh's long-term girl or longtime girlfriend was also brought onto the stand and testified that she never saw any signs of mental illness in Josh until after his parents' murders. Yes. I also have, um, so they read a lot of the text messages out in the court. 
And I took note of some of them. Some of them are between like Antonio, Don, and AJ in a group message. And then there are some other things about AJ. So, all right. Remember, AJ had failed out of school. He'd been smoking weed. He'd been sneaking out of his house to see his girlfriend. He'd been lying to his parents about everything. And he'd been driving really, really, really recklessly. He had this bright red Mustang that he'd been driving crazy all over the place. And he'd actually just received a notice from the school that said he's not allowed to drive here anymore because of the way that he drives. So there's a text message from Antonio Sr. to AJ in the group text with AJ and Dawn on April 22nd, 2016. And it says, quote, I'm sick of getting reports about silly crap you're doing. Last warning. And Dawn says, totally agree. The way he's acting, he doesn't deserve that car. Something slow, less impressive, and old would fit his maturity. There are messages from Don saying multiple times, I'm tired of your lying and scheming to AJ. All you do is lie and scheme. You lie about everything. When AJ snuck out and told his parents he didn't, his mom says in a quote or in a text, quote, yes, you did. I checked the alarm. You're lying. I know you left. The alarm doesn't lie. You lie. If that is not her speaking from the grave, I don't know what is because such a big point of contention in the defense's case is that alarm was finicky. You could not trust it, but she trusted it to go back and look and see whether or not he had left the house when he wasn't supposed to. And he, as far as we know, he doesn't write back to her. Mom, you know, the alarm records never are right. You know, that alarm doesn't ever work. Yeah. She said, the alarm doesn't lie. You lie. Mm-hmm. Some of the other text messages from AJ's dad say, um, quote, son, blow smoke to someone else. Dawn calls him a, quote, bold-faced liar in her text messages with him. Um, they also had a digital forensic investigator testify and said, on two different occasions, when AJ was texting with his girlfriend, who is now his wife, AJ lied at one point saying a girl was texting him when his girlfriend asked for the girl's phone number. So like, I don't, if he's just trying to stir shit up, I don't know. But he was like, yeah, this girl is texting me. So she's like, uh, give me the number that she's texting you from. He gives his girlfriend a number, but texts a guy friend saying, hey, my girlfriend's going to text you. Pretend to be a girl named Samantha that's trying to text me. And so his girlfriend texts this, quote, Samantha, who is actually his friend. And then there's another time that AJ was texting with himself and sending screenshots, pretending that he was texting with a boy that she had had an issue with. So some guy supposedly said something about her that wasn't true. She was upset about this. She wanted him to defend her honor, essentially. And um, he's like, yeah, 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 I got that. And it was deemed that he what he was sending her screenshots of it, but there's from him to himself and from him to himself to make her believe that. And there are multiple text messages in their messages to each other, to and from each other. AJ and I believe her name is Katie, the girlfriend who's now the wife. Multiple times she says stuff like, All you ever do is lie to me. You know, I caught you lying again. Like all you tell me is lies. Like There's a lot of that from her. Well, it seems like he just really, you know, there's some people that just like live for drama and they just want to just like, you know what I mean? It's like those people that are like, can't be happy unless they're unhappy. It's like they can't be, can't be living life unless they're stirring shit up. Like this, allegedly, it seems like this is kind of his gig. Yeah, definitely. And it's just interesting that, um, you know, because part of the defense's case was to bring his then girlfriend, now wife up on the stand and say, well, we were texting that night and he seemed happy go lucky. He seemed like his normal goofy self. Like he wasn't acting strangely or anything like that. And it's like, okay, well, he also told you that he was texting somebody and taking up for you and sent you screenshots of that, but they were fabricated. And, and he, you know, lied to people about why he was no longer going to Kincaid. He said his parents just wouldn't let him go there anymore. They took that away from him. You know, like all this stuff, he failed out. Like, right. You just can't trust anything he says. And from his mom's own words, all you do is lie. Yeah, absolutely. It does not look. No, it does not. 
And a new piece of evidence that in the third trial was blood evidence that was reportedly discovered just before the trial began. In the box of evidence collected from AJ after the murders, there was a sticky name tag badge. Like, you know, if you go like visitor name tag or something like that, that had been placed on AJ's shirt when he went to the police department to be interviewed. And two spots of blood were found on the sticky part of the name tag, and that blood belonged to Antonio. A lawsuit was later filed against the Houston Police Department and AJ or by AJ's defense attorney, alleging that the police department had planted the evidence, particularly because the officers had testified in court that they hadn't seen any blood on AJ that night. The defense later said that they were prepared to go ahead without the blood evidence, but when it was found just before the trial, they felt it was their duty to test it. After 10.5 hours of deliberation, that's 10 and a half, 11 days of trial and guilt, hearing more, oh my gosh, and hearing from more than 30 witnesses, the jury finally returned with a unanimous verdict and that was guilty. AJ was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 40 years. Because of his age at the time of the murders, he received the sentence rather than the death penalty. Prosecutors later said that they believed Don was the intended target of the murder and one said, quote, his animosity for his mother was so evident her realization of who he was was evident. In this, in his statement, he says something that's odd. He says, I'm not saying that my dad put a hit out on my mom and something went wrong. And that shows an intimate knowledge of that crime scene because that's exactly what it looked like. There's a real possibility when he'd entered that room, he was planning on killing one person, but by the time he left that room, he'd killed two. I don't know how, like, how would he plan that? If he planned on if he did plan on killing his mom, but just his mom, while his dad was sleeping right next to her. I don't know how he like figured that. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't know why you would think Maybe that he that thought happen, but. the pillow over his dad's face would block the sound as well as the bull. I don't know. Or, yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, the fact that his mom was shot twice and his dad was shot once to me says that he had a lot more anger towards his mom at the very least. Mm -hmm. Many of AJ's family members, like we talked about, believe that he's innocent. His paternal grandmother said that she had absolutely no doubt that AJ is innocent. And AJ is currently in prison at the George Beto unit in in Tennessee Colony, Texas. He will be eligible for parole in August of 2063 at the age of 63. And his attorney has filed an appeal and a motion for a fourth trial. Yes. And um, I just want to point out, we uh, always have our sources listed on our website. So if you want to read any of these articles, see any of these things, you certainly can. We relied heavily on Kay Houston, the local um, news outlet there. Um, and if you want to hear a lot more of the actual trial, because it was not, you can't see the trial on YouTube or anything. Trust me, I tried because I love watching trials. Court Junkie did an episode on it. And since she's with like the Law and Crime Network now, she actually has audio from it that Law and Crime gives to her. So pretty interesting stuff. Just Absolutely. putting that out there. But yeah, that's it. You guys let us know. What do you think? Do you think AJ did this? Do you think that there's reasonable doubt? Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty obvious what we think, but, um, we of course always love to have a conversation with you guys, whether or not it's, uh, the same outcome that we, you know, that we've gotten, but yeah, and it's going to always be a respectful conversation, but thank you guys so much. We love you. Bye. Bye. Okay. You guys, you know what our favorite part is. It's shout Oh my gosh. And you guys, we know that we could not do what we do without you. A lot of rhyming. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I'm a rapper But now. it's true. It's true. <laughs> we do what we do because of you. Yep. Um, and we're just so grateful for this. And also, I just want to point out that these are people that have signed up on Patreon. We also offer Apple subscriptions, but Apple does not give us access to the names of the people who subscribe. So if you would like a shout out, cancel Apple, come on over to Patreon, and we can do it there. Yes. We just want you to know that. But we want to give a Hey Girl thanks to some of our newest patrons. Thank you to Kate Futch, Brooke Calhoun, Amber Kay, Abby Badger, and C, Diana... Acevedo, Olivia Reynolds, Taylor Mitchell, Charlie Moon, 
Hunter Campbell, Kimberly, Courtney Schultz, Elizabeth Shuge, Laurel Jimenez, Cat with a K, Owen Crabtree, Corinna, or Karina, or Karina, Melissa O'Gorman, Rachel, Morgan, Tanya Espy, Abigail Holland, Mackenzie Brown, Olga Klyusnikova. Yes, thank you. Candace Keller, Kimber Ingolin, Melissa Montez, Amy Crawford, Colleen BK, Sia Osterhaus, Marsha Peterson, Paul Jordan, Tanya Money, Taylor H, Courtney O'Connor, Kathleen, Abriana, Abriana Johnson, JC Cusick, Stacey Anderson, Austin Boyett, Geraldine Crow, Megan Dawson, Jade West, and Dana Liel Cisneros. Yay! Thank you guys so much. Um, also, you know, uh, if you've been listening for a while, this segment is also called Fuck Your Name Up Time. So <laughs> if we did that, uh, please know that that's what we do to everybody's name. And also, we still love you yes. even more um, than than you've ever loved, been loved before. Exactly. We love you. Whatever. Thank you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 